Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. Good morning, everybody. We are going to be in Psalm 66 this morning, so if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Psalm 66. I always love to come to different places to speak and see how high other people's pulpits are, because I'm not tall, but that's... So, so if I go up here... Uh, you know, it is such a great time to be able to take a look at what God is doing. And I entitled my message this morning, Come and See. Now, growing up, something interesting, I, I can tell some of you are beyond my age, but uh, some of you are probably in my age group. Uh, I'm 57, and uh, I remember growing up, we had television, no color TV, just black and white, and, uh, and we had just a few channels on our TV, uh, 2, 4, 5, 7, 9, 11, and 13, and, uh, and if you had UHF, or, uh, you know, then you have uh, Channel 21 and uh, 37 or whatever it was that nobody ever watched, but that was the public television stations. And, uh, and then all of a sudden, you know, the advent of the original cable TV came out and you got 12 more channels. Wow, that was amazing. And now when I think about the fact of the advent of technology and people are not just having television in their homes, but you actually can watch TV on your iPad now. You can just click, uh, click into the internet and boom, there it is. And there's so many different channels to choose from. You know, depending upon who your service provider is, you might have two or 300 or maybe you've gone with the whole package and you have 500 or more and you're a very bored person. Uh, but what's interesting is that I, I look and there's a couple of channels that I find very, very interesting. I, I like the Discovery Channel, I like uh, the Investigation Channel because it allows me to be able to look at things. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen How It's Made, uh, great program, you know, they have different things and they teach you how all these different things are made. And what it spurred me to do is to take a look and go, you know, God's a lot like that. He really honors investigation because he wants us to come and see. He wants us to understand the total dimension of who he is. Even though we can't find out totally what he's like, because in, in some cases he's past finding out. His ways are higher than our ways. But in the ways that we can know and can understand, God invites us to come and to investigate, to come and see. And the problem that we have is, like our television channels, the more channels you have, you become a channel surfer, don't you? You just, you know, if you're a guy, you're a channel surfer. If you're a woman, you're frustrated with your channel surfing guy because you start to look at one program and it's like click, 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 you know, through the commercials and there we go. We're surfing two minutes here, one minute there, three minutes there, unless there's a game on. And then it's like you can't get any kind of reception from him at all because he's locked into this game. But there's something about the Lord that he doesn't want us to surf his word. He doesn't want us to surf in our relationship with him. 
He wants us to dig deep. He wants us to be like that game that you're focused on that all of a sudden now you're locked into. And this is something that the psalmist really tells us in Psalm 66 this morning. And so let's start and let's take a look at what he says. Begins by saying, make a joyful shout to God, all the earth. I love that. Make a joyful shout to God. I think that as Christians, we should be the happiest people on the earth. Shouldn't we? We have nothing really to get upset about in terms of our future, do we? What is our future? Our future is secured in Jesus Christ. We know where we're going. We're going to heaven. I love the fact that we can be excited about that. We don't have to be ashamed about that. We can be excited about that. I mean, when I think about the trials and the difficulties that I go through, and we're going to talk about that in a minute because the psalmist does, the one thing that you can always say is, I'm going to heaven. I'm going to heaven. Keeping that eternal perspective, and I can shout over the fact that I have a destiny. I have a, I have a place that is being prepared for me that I'm going to, that my Savior has said that where he is, I will be also. Isn't that exciting? Yeah, sound, you guys sound really excited. You sound thrilled about that. See, that's the problem. You go to a game. Can you imagine? You go to some game. You're watching your favorite team. You go to a baseball game, and there's a home run. Do you see the people going like this? Oh. Wow, great. Ball went over. You know, the football season's coming up. Go to Giants Stadium. I'm a Giants fan. I'll say Giants Stadium. Go to Giants Stadium. They score a touchdown. You don't see people going, oh, hallelujah. <laughs> the Women's World Cup. I don't know if you watched that. The Women's World Cup. Watching the final. All of a sudden, the score, the goal. Did you see the women kind of go like this? They were running around the field, hugging each other, grabbing each other. They're screaming, Goal! And we come to church and, and the Lord Jesus is here. He has redeemed us. He saved us. He's paid for us. His blood has been shed. He's victorious. He's risen from the dead. And we go, Amen. <laughs> Glory. Glory to God. Don't get excited about God because then you're a fanatic. Oh, but we can paint our faces blue and red. We can take our shirts off in the middle of freezing weather. That's a fan. That's dedicated. That's devoted. But if we say, oh, we love Jesus. Oh, don't get so committed. You're a fanatic. You're, you're, oh. Why? The psalmist says, make a joyful shout to God. Doesn't God deserve some excitement? He doesn't need it, by the way. Because if God needed any kind of encouragement, he has a bazillion angels around him that can do that. But he likes to hear that from his children. See, right after service today, I'm, I'm leaving and I'm going to upstate New York because my granddaughter turns three. Okay? Yes? I'm a grandpa. I have two, I have two grandbabies. One granddaughter, one grandson, and my granddaughter, she is just, she has me wrapped around her finger, okay? When I'm around her, she calls me Bapa, 
Okay, I'm Baba. And the other day, the other uh, week, she was at my house because my, my son and daughter moved, and she's there, and she needed her diaper change. She says, "No, Baba's going to do it." She said to mom, "Baba's going to." And and her mom said, "No, I'll do it." She says, "No, Baba's going to do it." She says, "Why?" She says, "Because he's my best boy." That's it. Whatever you want. There you go, kid. You see, I love it when my granddaughter did that. When, when my, when my, he's my best boy. When, uh, yes. You see, and when you give a joyful shout to God, God is sitting there and he's going, yeah. That's why I created you. I created you so that you can understand that I love you. And I want you to understand the depth of the joy that I want to give you. Jesus said that his joy would remain us so that our joy would be full. Amazing. Verse 2, sing out the honor of his name. Make his praise glorious. Sing out the honor of his name. Sing. Sing out the honor of his name. I'll tell you. There's something about singing that just allows your heart to be set free. Singing his honor, making his praise glorious. And then verse 3, it's a say to God. Now, understand this. The psalmist is not saying say to one another. Say to God, how awesome are your works. Through the greatness of your power, your enemies shall submit themselves to you. Through the greatness of your works, say to God, When you talk to God, is your communication with God one-sided? Do you just give God your laundry list? Okay, God, here's what I need. Here's what's going on. Here's what's happening. We're going to pray, and and I need this, and I need this, and so-so needs this, and we need this, and we need this, and we need that. In Jesus' name, amen. The psalmist doesn't seem to take that venue, does he? The first thing that you say to God, how awesome are your works? Before I even get to my stuff, I'm so overwhelmed by what you do that I need to say to you, how awesome are your works? How great are you, Lord? How marvelous are you? When I start to take the focus off of me, and my stuff, and my needs, and my wants, and my desires, and my disappointments, and all the things that are happening with me. And I turn, and I focus, and I look at God, and I say, how awesome are you? How awesome are your works? How awesome are your ways? How encouraging is that to my soul? I find that if I need encouragement, I'm not looking for someone to tell me how great I am. I need to be looking to how great God is. Because I'm his child. I'm his son. I'm his servant. I look and I, and I go, Lord, how awesome you are. When I go through difficulties, and, and there's many that I go through as a pastor, as a father, as a husband, as a person, in all these different factors, I've learned to do one thing when I run into difficulty. And that is I turn to the Lord and I say, you have a problem. You have a problem. Because God has promised that he will come to my aid. He said to me, I am your rock, your fortress, 
your high tower. I'm the place that you can run to and be safe. And if that's the case, then it's your problem. And there's nothing that's too hard for God. There's nothing that's too hard for the Lord. So much that's so hard for me. But there's nothing that's too hard for him. Now, in understanding, in saying to God how awesome are your works, we're recognizing the work of God, not our efforts, not what we're doing for God. It's never about what we're doing for God. It's always about what God is doing in us. Because we're realizing that the work of God and the power of God, that the victory is in him, not for him. He's already won the victory. We are not going to do anything to add to the glory of God. If you could, then you would be above him. See, when we get to heaven, can you imagine at the supper that we're going to have? We're going to be gathered together at the great feast. And you know what's going to happen is you're going to be sitting next to maybe somebody who you read about in the Bible. You ever think about that? You're thinking about, oh, Lord, I don't want to be next to that person. But imagine who you could be seated next to. All of a sudden, you're ushered into heaven, and the angel comes and says, here, sit here. And you sit here, and you turn next to that person. You say, hi, what's your name? Oh, my name is Noah. Noah! Hey! Nautical Noah, I know you. Yeah, you're, you're the guy with the boat, with the big, the ark. The, yeah, yeah. Wow. Tell me about how... Oh, God is so good. Noah's not going to sit there and go, I'm so tired. I'm glad I'm in heaven. Oh, finally. You know, those people drove me crazy. A hundred years building all that boat and ark. And then, and then finally it rains and I'm on there and it stinks and there's animals and I'm allergic. And oh, I could. You think that's what's going to happen? You think that he's going to sit there? He's going to moan and complain? He's going to say how great and how glorious God is. How wonderful God was. How wonderful that God did the work. God closed the door. God sent the rain. God sent the rainbow. God allowed the ark to, to land safely. God allowed us to go out and to begin again. You're going to go to Abraham. What God did. How God promised me. Someone who had no children that I would have a heritage that the stars of the sky and the sand on the sea couldn't match it. You're going to go to David and David is going to speak about the glories of God, about the greatness, about how he, he, through the strength of the Lord, killed the lion and killed the bear and then took on the giant. But the greatest giant that God slew in David's life was his own sinfulness with Bathsheba and the great forgiveness that came at the hands and at the voice of the prophet who said that God will forgive you. You're going to talk to Ruth, who was orphaned, who was a widow, and who was brought in, and who became part of the legacy of the heritage. We're going to look at all the characters. We're going to look at Daniel, who was taken away into captivity into Babylon, and he's going to speak about the wonderment about God delivering him. We're going to see Joseph, who was sold into slavery by his brothers and thrown into a pit. He's not going to be speaking about his sorrows. He's going to be speaking about God's glory, about the wonderment about what God has done, what God has done, what God has done. We need to be telling one another about what God is doing in our lives, not about what's going wrong. I mean, that's okay. 
It's all right to share our sorrows, and we need to do that. Bear one another's burdens. That's perfectly okay. But don't let it be just that. Speak about the great things that God is doing. Speak to wonderment. How awesome is your greatness. In verse 4, it says, All the earth shall worship you and sing praises to you. They shall sing praises to your name. <coughs> Excuse me. All the earth. All the earth. That speaks about a time that's coming that all the earth. Can you imagine? Can you imagine when all the earth sings the praises of the Lord? Now, I have to tell you that your worship here is nothing compared to what it's going to be in heaven. Can you imagine? Let, let's, just, let's just think about this for a second. Let's just think about the fact of taking all the churches in this community, in the Jamesburg community, let's say you had a day of worship where you brought all the churches together to sing. That'd be pretty cool, right? That would be nice. But let's say all the residents of Jamesburg came and said, we want to join in with this. And then all the people of New Jersey decided that they wanted to have a worship service. Can you imagine if every resident in New Jersey sang at the same time? That'd be awesome, wouldn't it? <clears throat> we would see ourselves worshiping the Lord. It would be glorious. It would be magnificent. Now, let's just say that the Northeast decides that they want to join into this little sing-along. So now we have New York and Connecticut and Massachusetts and New Hampshire and Vermont. And then the southern states decide, yeah, we might make it an East Coast thing. So imagine that the whole East Coast gathers together and now we're singing. We might be heard in California. And maybe we would be heard in California and now we get the whole Midwest to join in. And then the West Coast. And then all of America at one time is worshiping the Lord. How amazing would that be? The voices would then draw in Canada and Mexico, South America, Europe, Africa, Asia, and even those few people in Greenland who would decide, hey, you know what? It's a good, good thing to sing. Imagine the whole earth at one time. Seven and a half billion people singing at one time. Guess what? That's nothing compared to when you get to heaven. And you get to all the people who are going to be in heaven and all the angels that are in heaven. And we're going to be singing together around the throne. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Woo! If you don't like to worship, heaven is going to be really difficult for you. Yes, well, you know, when I get to heaven, there'll be different places. I don't want to be, you know, with those Pentecostal people. Let them be in the Pentecostal, you know, courtyard. And I just want to be over here in Methodist Village and Presbyterian, uh, you know, Upper Heights. And, you know, we'll just, and then there'll be the Baptist over in this corner. And there'll be the, you know, the people over here. And Calvary Chapel, obviously, will be in the front, in the center. <laughs> 
Lord, deliver us, huh? Sing praises to his name. Give the Lord glory. As the days grow darker, as the difficulties start to mount in these last days, it is time not for us to grow dim. It is not time for us to grow silent. It is time for us to rise up and be the salt and the light that we were called to be. To worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. To give him the praise that's due his name. Not because you're emotionally feel good about it. We do it because he deserves it. I don't care how I feel. You could walk in here and you could go, well, I don't feel like worshiping the Lord. I don't care. I don't care whether you feel like it or not. It's not about how you feel. It's about who he is. Because I got I to gotta be honest with you. Sometimes I don't feel like preaching on Sunday morning, but I still do it. Can you imagine me getting up one Sunday morning and saying to my wife, oh, I got to do that again. I got to get up in that pulpit. I got to teach again. I got to preach again. I don't feel like it. Maybe I'll just leave a note. Went to the shore. <laughs> no, I, I do it not because I feel like it. I do it because I'm called to do it. It's, it's what God has placed in me as my, my calling, my mission, my passion. Not my feeling. I don't worship because I feel like it, because then it's about me. I worship because he's worthy to be worshipped. That's what we need to do. Verse 5, come and see. Come and see the works of God. He is awesome in his doing towards the Son of Men. You know, this come and see is not just here in the Psalms. All throughout the New Testament, you're going to find passages that, that encourage us to investigate, to come and see. John chapter 1, when Jesus first comes and is gathering together his disciples, we have a situation of Philip and Nathaniel. Nathaniel comes and, and uh, says to Philip, who says, hey man, I think we found the Messiah. He's Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathaniel says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now Nazareth was, the, and still today, if you go to the Middle East, how many of you have ever gone to the Middle East? Israel? Anybody take a trip to Israel? Okay. They say to you as you're driving in the bus, there's Nazareth. And you just keep going. <laughs> Nazareth is like nothing. Okay, now, you know, Nazareth would be sort of equivalent to, I don't know, um, maybe Newark, like, you know, just not Beverly Hills. It's not, you know, it's not like some really high end. I, I mean, it would be like for me, it would be like Plainfield. Nice, but nothing really spectacular, nothing, nothing really going on there. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? It was like a nothing, no, no, the, the town was just a town. Why would a Messiah come out of there? Philip says, come and see. Come and see. A little bit later on in John chapter 4, we have this story of a woman, a Samaritan woman, who's at a well at noontime. She's there trying to draw water out of that well, and Jesus sends his disciples away, comes up to the woman, and says, woman, give me a drink. And she says to him, how are you, being a Jew, speak to me, a Samaritan, and on top of it, being a, excuse me, being a woman? 
And how are you going to get water? Because the well is, is deep and you have no bucket. You have no, you, you have no rope. How are you going to get that water? And Jesus said, if you knew who were asking you about this, you would ask him and he would give you living water. You'd never have to come back again. Wow, incredible. Sir, where can I get this living water? And he dialogues with her and then he says to her, go call your husband. She goes, I don't have a husband. He says, right, you've said you've had five husbands and the guy you're with right now is not even going to give you the privilege of being your husband. She says, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. <laughs> All righty then. Let's talk. And so he speaks and he, and he tells her that he's the Messiah and he gives her hope and he gives her life and he speaks to her about the things in her life that are, that are wrong and can be made right. And so she runs dead. She leaves her water pot, which you never did in that culture, by the way. But she left it and she ran into the city. And in John 4, 29, she said, come and see. A man who told me all the things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Come and see. One of the greatest times to come and see in the Bible was at the resurrection. I don't know if you noticed, there's little nuances in the resurrection about the dialogue that goes on between the angel and between the women. And so the women come to anoint the body. They think that Jesus is still in the tomb. They come and the stone is rolled away. The body's not there. And so what is the message? He is not here. He is risen as he said. Come and see the place where the Lord lay. Now, the reason why I love that is because I've been to Israel a couple of times. And I've been to the tomb, and I've gone in, and guess what I found? Not bones. No, there weren't bones. Nothing. There's nothing there. You know why? Because he's risen. Why is it that we just celebrate that he's risen on Easter? Yeah. Why is it? You know... It's amazing to me how we identify. We identify mostly with the cross, don't we? We have crosses that we wear. We have crosses on our, on our cars, on our Bibles, on our belt buckles. On, you know, I mean, we have crosses everywhere. We have crosses that identify the church outside your building here. There's a cross, isn't there? Why isn't there a tomb outside? Do you know the early church did not preach the cross? Primarily. Because it was an instrument of death and it was common. Everywhere that you went on the roads line to Rome were crosses with, with criminals hanging on them. It was a deterrent to crime. A cross wasn't something to look at that was glorious, that was magnificent. It was something that depicted a criminal. Oh, but the tomb. The tomb. That empty tomb which speaks of the victory which speaks of the, of, of the risen Christ. He is not here. He has risen just as he said, come and see. Now, a few years ago, I said, you know, we, should, we shouldn't be wearing crosses. We should be wearing little tombs. And guess what happened? I have a jeweler that was in my fellowship. He made me a necklace with a tomb on it. And there's a stone that rolls back, and as it rolls back inside, it says, He is risen. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? I don't wear it that often because I look like, you know, got this big thing hanging down, off, you know, 
But, it, but it's something that I have in my, in my drawer, and, I, and I'm like, yes, he's risen. He has risen indeed. Come see the place where he lay. Come see the marvelous work of the Lord. Can you imagine the encouragement? That when Peter and John ran to the tomb, they heard that, that he was alive. He's alive. He's risen. Come see the works. Now the psalmist speaks about the great things that God has done for Israel. In verse 6, he turned the sea into dry land. They went through the river on foot. Therefore, we will rejoice in him. So speaking about the Red Sea and the deliverance from Egypt and the Jordan River. God making a way when there isn't a way. See, that's what he is he's great at. God makes a way when there's not a way. We go through life and we look and we go, oh, oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know either. But one thing I do know, I don't rest upon the things that I don't know. I rest upon the things that I do know, and God will make a way. God will work all things together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. Isn't that what his promise is? God does not always promise to take me down the easy path, but he always promises to take my hand and to provide for me along the way. And that's the great thing that we can look at. You know, the stones of remembrance that the children of Israel put at the River Jordan should speak to us about keeping memories afresh of the great things that God has done in our lives. You're going to need them for the future. When the next difficult thing comes, you're going to need to look back on those stones of remembrance and say, look at what God has done. What God has done, what God has done, what God has done. I tell stories all the time to my kids. And I remember the days when God has just intervened in miraculous ways, and I don't forget about those are stones of remembrance. Tell you one very quickly that happened to my wife and I. We're in Bible college. We're, we're, we're poor as poor could be. I mean, we had just basically, we, we lived in the dorms, Americable dorms at Bible college. All of the Bible college students would get together. We'd take all of our change together and buy one pizza. So there'd be like 12 of us and one pizza, eight slices. We have to cut in, you know, because we just, we were all poor, but we didn't care. We loved the Lord and we were studying. And so my wife and I are inside our apartment. Now our apartment was probably about as big. Uh, yeah, our whole apartment was about as big as this whole stage. Bathroom, bedroom, living room, kitchen. Our kitchen, our kitchen was like a slot with, with you know, some cabinets. Our kitchen table, I was sitting there, and I could lean back on my chair and open up our front door. That's how small it was. So I'm sitting down for dinner, came home, and my wife said, this is all we have left. We had one box of spaghetti. That was it. That was it. Nothing in the cupboards. We had no money. Where we were at Bible college, it was, at the time, 40% unemployment. Not four, 40 so we bowed our head and we said, okay, Lord, you promised that you would provide. So we thank you for this food. That's what I heard at the door. I opened the door, leaned back, opened the door. <laughs> Two bags of groceries were sitting there full and nobody was there. And nobody could have gotten away fast enough for the time I leaned back and opened the door. And that food lasted until I got a job working for UPS to provide for us. 
That food was God's manna for heaven for my wife and I. Now we rejoice because that was food for the day, but it was a stone of remembrance for a lifetime. For what God will do, what God is doing. Don't look at what God is not doing and moan. Look at what God is doing and rejoice. Rejoice in the fact of what God, he took us through the dry land. He took us through the Red Sea. He took us through the Jordan River. He brought us into the land. He rules by his power forever. His eyes observe the nations. Do not let the rebellious exalt themselves. Selah. Do you know what Selah means? What do you think about that? What do you think about that? Now, one of the things that, that is cool about this, it says, his eyes observe the nations. What do you think about that? Well, I'm telling you what I think about that. Nobody gets away with anything. We could get upset. Oh, so-and-so made this decision. They made this law. They did this thing. How could they do that? You know what? It's not like God is up, up in heaven going, really? They made that decision? When? Oh, you were talking to Gabriel and Michael over there. You had, your, you had, a, you had a, a meeting in heaven. And down on earth, God, they made that decision. And God goes, oh, oy vey. <laughs> he doesn't do that, does he? His eyes observe the nations. John 14, do not let your heart be troubled. Do you believe in God? Believe also in me. Don't let your heart be troubled over evil, over wickedness. Are you surprised that wicked decisions are being made in our nation? Are you surprised? Yeah? I, I, you know what? You shouldn't be. Because why? Because they don't know Jesus. They're like you and me before we knew Jesus. Did we make godly decisions before we knew Jesus? No. We made selfish, evil, wicked decisions. And even if we didn't make a good decision, we wanted to be rewarded for it. Nothing should surprise us. My little grandson, Nolan, he's great. He's two. Addie's three. Nolan's two. And they get together. And I love it when they get together. Addie goes, hi, Nolan. Nolan goes, hi, Addie. Want to play? Okay, want to play. So we play. What do we play? We play surprise. So how do you do that? You take a blanket, you put it over your head. And somebody says, where's Nolan? He throws the mic off and he goes, surprise! Now we all know that Nolan's under the blanket. But we still play the game, don't we? And this world plays the game with God. They think that they're going to surprise God somehow. His eyes observe the nations. Hey guys, nothing, nothing, nothing is going to surprise God. He sees it all. He knows it all. And nobody gets away with anything. Everyone needs to understand that they will stand before the Creator. That's not always easy because in Psalm 73, Psalm 73, the psalmist, Asaph said, you know, my feet almost slipped because I looked at the wicked and I saw the wicked prospering. And I thought, what's the use of being good when the wicked have just as much of an easy life as the righteous? He said, my foot almost slipped until I went into the sanctuary and I perceived their end. What is their end? They have to stand before God and give an account for their lives, as we all do. He rules by his power forever. His eyes observe the nations. 
No nation is going to be able to exalt themselves over the power of God. We will suffer the consequences. And by the way, I, I do believe that judgment does come to nations, and I, and, and I do believe that judgment is coming to America. We cannot continue to do the things that we do and not expect God's judgment to fall upon America. But as God's people, God will always provide for us. He will always take care of his people, even as he has throughout the centuries. But don't think that America is going to not suffer because of the decisions and because of the statutes that we make and the, and the things that we throw in the face of God and say, we don't want you in our schools, we don't want you in our lives, we want you to be separate, we, want, we look at and we say that the things that your word says are not true, we're going to validate these things that are not in your word. And that, you know what? A nation does it at its own peril. And, and we as Americans need to continue to pray for America, continue to pray for our leaders as the Bible says, but don't be surprised if judgment comes. But we can't be wagging our fingers either at the big bad world and say, ooh, you see, I told you. I told you dad was coming with the belt. It's not it. We need to come to people and we need to say, there's still hope even though you see judgment pending. There's still a Savior who died and who rose again, whose blood was shed for you. The mission is as important as ever for us to plead with men and women to be reconciled to Christ so that they can know the forgiveness and the love that we know. He says in verse 8, O bless our God, you peoples. Make the voice of his praises to be heard, who keeps our soul among the living and does not allow our feet to be moved. The steadfastness of the person who trusts and believes in Jesus Christ. We shall not be moved. Because we have a God who holds on to us. He says, For you, O God, have tested us. You have refined us as silver is refined. For you, O God, has tested us. God will test us. And we will go through the, the testings and we will go through the trials. James says, Count it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that it will produce patience in your life. The refining is a process by which every metal goes through in order to be purified. When metal is heated up, whether it be gold or whether it be silver, or whether it be whatever metal, there is the impurities that get boiled up to the top, and it's called slag. And there's a paddle that scoops off the top, and you dump it over to the side, and it hardens, and it's useless metal. It's called slag. Do you know that pure gold is not gold in color? Pure gold is translucent. It's clear. But it's not malleable. You can't form it. You, can't, you need other metals inside of gold. I have my wedding ring, which is a gold band. The, the higher the value of gold in it, if I were to take my wedding ring off, which I have here in my hand, and if it were 32 karat gold, I could just squeeze with very little pressure, and I would just squeeze it. It, had, it has no strength to it. What, 14 karat, 18 karat, 24 karat gold, it has other impurities in it that give it the strength. But pure gold is like water. All of the impurities are taken out. And interestingly enough, when God refines us, he makes us so we're malleable, so we can be formed to whatever he wants us to be. 
the more impurities that stay in our life, the harder it is for God to mold us. Because we're allowing those impurities to harden us. Allow the refining work of God to go on in your life to take out those impurities so that God can mold you to the way that he has designed you to be. I love the fact that Hebrews says that no chastening seems to be joyful for the present. Isn't that true? But painful. Amen? Painful. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Allow God to use the trials in your life to train you, to encourage you, to strengthen you. God is not against you, and just because a trial comes in your life, you lose your job, it's bad. You lose a child, it's worse. You lose a spouse, it's terrifying. You lose your home, you lose your health, you lose whatever. Whatever the case might be that comes into your life, God will use it to help you to understand something else about his nature and about his character. It's a wonderful thing to know that whatever I go through, I don't go through it alone. Even at the point of where I feel like everyone else has abandoned me, God will never abandon me. He will always stay by our side. He will always be there. And when the pain keeps you awake in the middle of the night and everybody else is asleep, God will hear you. He's ready and willing to dialogue with you, to talk to you, to comfort you, to strengthen you. It's the God that we have. Verse 11 says, You brought us into the net. You laid affliction on our backs. Speaking about Egypt. You've caused men to ride over our heads. Others have ruled over us. We went through the fire and through the water. You ever feel like that? You're going through the fire. You're going through the water. I'm going to drown. I'm going to drown. I'm going to drown. No, you're not going to drown. You're not going to do it. I, one of the greatest stories in the Bible to me, there are a lot of great stories, but one of the great stories is Daniel's friend, remember? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they were told to bow down in the plain of Dura to the great statue that Nebuchadnezzar had made of gold. He was given the dream that he was the head of gold, but he decided, I don't want to just be the head. I'm going to be the whole thing. So he takes this 90-foot statue of gold into the plains of Dura. He says, now when you hear the musicians start, and they start to play, bow down. Bow down to the statue. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, we're not going to bow. And those are your choices, bow or burn. So it doesn't matter. So Nebuchadnezzar finds out that they're not bowing. So he goes and he says, maybe you got it wrong. We're going to give you a second chance. Strike up the band. Band strikes up. They said, we're not bowing. He says, we're going to throw it into the furnace. Go for it. Make it seven times hotter. So they're stoking this furnace. They're throwing the wood in. Take Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Drop them into the furnace. What happens? Nothing. Not, it says not even the smell of smoke is on them. So Nebuchadnezzar says, I threw three guys in there. I see four. I see one like the Son of Man. Who's in there with him? He's in the fire with them. And then he says to the 
three children. Come on out. Now, you know what? If I was one of them, I would say, you come on in. I'm not coming out. Come on in. Let's see how you fare in here. You will never go into the fire or into the flood alone. Always remember that. The God who loves you, who has redeemed you, who has made you, who has saved you, is your shepherd. He will always be there next to you. And when we forget that, and you will be tempted to forget that because the one thing the enemy will try to convince you of is that God has abandoned you. He's left you out to dry. All those promises, all that Bible, all that Bible reading, all the things, all the stuff you've done. Well, you know, you served God. You were faithful to God. You, were, you thought, man, life is good. And all of a sudden, you were the one who got fired. You were the one who got cancer. You are the one who, who has the, the difficult child who runs away. Gets all inked up and gets pierced in every part of their body and rides a motorcycle. You're like, whoa. And that's my daughter. No. <laughs> and you're like, wow. How is life like this? You know, I think the saddest part is when you have you know, your son or your daughter, you, you know, they grow up in the church. They grow up and, and yet they leave and they go off to college and you find out, you know, you get a letter that they don't believe in God anymore. And you wonder, what went wrong? Well, Deuteronomy chapter 6 is a little encouragement. This is just a sidelight. If, if you really want to be a parent who prepares their children, because I don't believe that any young person who grows up in the church has to run away and find themselves and has to go through their time of rebellion. I have three children who were raised in the church who never walked away from God and are serving God today. They don't have to be rebellious. I think that's a misnomer. I think that's... that's but what I did find is this. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these things you shall diligently teach to your children when you rise up and when you lie down and when you go in and when you come out. These things you shall teach your children. Here's the problem, guys. We teach our kids about God. That's not what that verse says. That verse says to teach your children to love God. You teach your kid to love God, you don't have to worry. Because when they learn to love God, they'll have everything that they need and there's nothing that's going to compare to the great love of God. There's no drug, there's no guy, there's no girl, there's no other religion, there's no other philosophy, there's no other mentality. When I truly know the love of God, when I know that I'm loved and that he loves me and that I love him, that's it. I don't have to worry. That's what we need to be teaching our kids, that they are loved with an everlasting love are drawn by cords of loving kindness. They are loved immensely by a God in heaven who is passionate about them. What can compare? What can compare to that? But if we just teach our children about God, oh, I know all the stories. How many, how many have, have, have had that scenario? I've heard that over and over again. 
Yeah, we know the stories. We know about Noah. We know about David and Goliath. We know about Daniel and Lion's Den. We know about the stories. We know about Jesus. We know he died on the cross. He rose from the dead. <gasps> How many of our kids? Hey, you want to go to church? Uh, okay. You want to go down the short? Yeah! Hey, let's get in the car, man. Let's go. That's a little bit of a different excitement than going to church. Want to go to youth group? Okay. Woo! Go to youth group. What are you going to do there? Well, we'll pray. Hallelujah. Read the Bible. Yes. And snacks. They got snacks. Every youth group has snacks. A lot of snacks. <laughs> Come on. We got to do better than that, guys. We got to do better than that. Love your kids with a passion that can only be triumphed by God's passion for them. Nothing can compare to that. When your children understand the depth of how much they're loved. There's such a great confidence that I've never seen before in young people. They will stand up and take the greatest of challenges. And your kids will probably do better than what you think. When you set the bar low, they're not interested. Raise the bar. Raise the bar. Set it higher. Set the standards higher. They'll live up to it. They'll go for it. They love a challenge. Be proactive in your children's lives, teaching them about how much God loves them. And then set them free to go share that with people that need to know his love. It's awesome. Well, let's finish up. Nobody's falling asleep on me this morning. That's good. You guys liking this? Is this good stuff? Amen? Amen. Good. No, he's awesome, not me. Yeah, I will go into your house with burnt offerings. I will pay you my vows, which my lips have uttered and my mouth have spoken when I was in trouble. I love this, don't you? You know what this is? This is the foxhole 911 prayer. I will pay my vows, which I vowed it to you when I was in trouble. Does it ring a bell? You're in trouble? Oh God, oh God, oh God. You know, I'll, I'll go back to church if you just, you know, let my heat go back on. Whatever you're going through, whatever the difficulty, whatever the trouble. Isn't that kind of crazy that when we're in the midst of the biggest trial in our lives, we feel like, well, in order to get God to do something, I got to make a vow. You don't. (laughs) But if you do, keep it. If you make a vow, keep it. Scripture says better not to make a vow than to make it and break it. Make a vow and keep it. And he says, I will offer bulls and goats. You see, under that system that the psalmist had, he didn't know about Jesus yet. He didn't know about the cross. He didn't know about the sacrifice that took the place of bulls and goats, that we no longer have to do those sacrifices anymore. That one sacrifice that was done for us was completed. What we have here in this sacrifice is an offering of a vow that says, I, I'm in trouble. I made a vow. I'm going to keep it. 
How many of you made a vow to follow Jesus Christ, that he would be your Lord and Savior? How are you doing with that? How are you doing with that vow? Is it just when it's easy? All the time. You make a vow, you keep it. You know, it's funny. Vows are easy when you first, first get started. It's like when you're dating, you know? When you, when you call up that, that girl and you go, oh, man, she is so beautiful. I, 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 I want to go out with her. I want to, you know what? Oh, wow, yes. So what do you do? You, call, you, you find out her number. You get your friend, hey, get her number for me. So you go, hi, uh, just wanted to know if maybe you'd like to go out and, and, you know, and have dinner or maybe go to a movie or something. Yeah, okay. Okay, well, how about Friday? Yo, Friday is good. So Friday comes. You've showered six times now on Friday. You drive. You've taken the car through the car wash. You get there. You pull up. You go to the door. You bought new clothes. You made sure that, you know, you got that deodorant that all the women love. And you spray yourself all down with all the stuff. Your hair is perfect. You bring her to the car. You open up the car door. You close the car door. You go out. You start to build a relationship. And then you fall in love. And then you ask her to marry you. And she marries you. And then, and then you're married. And then you get your, to your place after your honeymoon in your house. And then you start living together. And now what happens? Now it's 10 years down the road. You wake up in the morning. Your hair is not combed. Your breath stinks. You're still wearing that ratty shirt that she threw out and you took out of the garbage can. And you're sitting there and you're going, eh, all right. You get out in the car, eh, eh, let's go, we're late. She gets out there, she tries to get in the door, it's locked, you're pushing the button. She's like, open the door already. <laughs> open the door, get in. Put your seatbelt on, let's go. You start to move before the door is closed. She's like, what are you doing? Remember that vow? I will love you and cherish you. You said it at the altar, remember? You know, the longer you walk with the Lord, don't let that passion of that newness, of that freshness, of that, that great love that you had, diminish. Just because it's same old, same old. It's easy to do. But then in verse 16, come and hear all you who fear the Lord. And I would declare what he has done for my soul. Man, it's awesome stuff. I cried to him with my mouth and he was extolled with my tongue. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, my King and my Redeemer. But if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. There's that dross, guys. There's that... There's that thing. If I regard iniquity in my heart, if I let that sin in my life remain, the Lord isn't going to hear what I have to say because he wants to focus on that sin because he knows that that is what's keeping me from the blessing that he has for my life. That's the thing that he's keeping. He's keeping that blessing from me because he can't bless my life with the, if it's sinful because I'm going to take it as God is okay with my sin. Never take the patience of God as permission to sin. 
If you're involved in some kind of sinful activity and God hasn't dropped the bomb on you yet, your four tires haven't exploded and your, you know, your, uh, your life hasn't just you know, fallen apart, it's not because God isn't concerned about the sin. He's waiting for you to repent. He's waiting for you to get right. He's waiting for you to get it out of your life because he knows it's clogging up his blessing. He cannot bless your life if you're involved with sin. If you know it's sinful, stop it. If you can't stop it, ask somebody to help you. Because that's why we're here, to bear one another's burdens, to help you. Because God wants to bless your life. Our God is a God who is abundant in mercy and forgiveness. Go to him. Ask him. But if you regard iniquity in your heart, the Lord will not hear. But certainly, in verse 19, the Lord has heard me. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God who has not turned away my prayer, nor his mercy from me. God is good, isn't he? Well, let's pray and let's ask God to give us his mercy. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.